Welcome to the Mountain Park Church Podcast. We're excited to share this week's message with you. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has been working in or through you. Email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in and through you. Hey, Mountain Park family, it is great to be with you. If I have not had the chance to meet you yet, say hi to you in person or even digitally online. Uh, hey, how are you doing? My name is Andrew and I'm the lead pastor at Mountain Park Church. I hope that wherever you're watching this, whenever you're watching this uh, or listening to this, um, that God really does something profound and significant, that this is actually something that builds a great hope and encouragement into your life today. We are gonna jump right in. We've got a ton of content to get through. I'm gonna kind of try and stick to my notes as best I can today. But um, we are talking about what it means to hit a full reset in our lives and a full reset spiritually. And uh, last week, we've already covered this ground of uh, what resetting to come back to the New Testament sort of biblical New Testament example for life in Christ looks like. We talked last week about that. We talked about what is kingdom normal uh, according to the Bible versus what would be our normal experience now. And uh, one of the passages that we looked at was from the book of Luke. So I want you to grab your Bible, take out your phone, um, and uh, find Luke chapter four with me. This is just a bit of a review from last week. And this is Jesus. He's come out of the 40 days in the wilderness being tempted and tested by the devil. He comes out of the wilderness. Uh, he's back uh, home and he goes to the synagogue on Saturday, I guess it would be actually. And um, this is what it says. Uh, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. And so Jesus uh, drops a huge bomb on them there. He drops like, that's like a massive mic drop that he does there. And uh, essentially he said, all right, the, the plan of God is about to restart. The, the purposes of God, God is about to recapture his original design for humanity on the earth and all of the destruction and twisting and distortion and uh, garbage from the kingdom of darkness is about to be uh, confronted. And Jesus says when it's confronted, specifically in his ministry, this is what it will look like. But then we see later on in the New Testament that not only does um, life look like that for Jesus, that confrontation of kingdoms look like that for Jesus, 
Uh, actually, the baseline that Jesus begins with his disciples is to give them the same anointing that he has, the same authority that he has, the same power that he has to drive out demons and to heal the sick and to proclaim the, the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus is setting a new baseline. It's a restart back to um, a new baseline for what it means for the kingdom of God to be present. Jesus then expands that from the 12 to the 72. And then at the end of Mark, Jesus said, these signs will accompany those who believe. And what he says is this, uh, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved but whoever does not believe will be condemned, and these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes. If they should drink anything deadly, it will not harm them. All right, we talked about that. That's a brackets kind of statement there. Um, what Jesus is not saying is go and handle a venomous snake this afternoon and try and drink some Lysol or poison and you'll be fine. Uh, what he's saying is that actually the power of God in you has greater effect and potency than the power of the kingdom of darkness. Uh, they will lay hands on the sick and they will get well. So Jesus is saying, look, like this is the baseline. If we're going to hit a restart in what it means to follow Jesus, this is the baseline. This is what it will look like. And then in Matthew 28, Jesus gives them the great commission, it's called. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And so that everything that Jesus is talking about is not just teaching them to teach other people. That is a part of it. It's not just teaching them to come to church with you or to even just to serve. It's actually teaching them to do everything, which includes the supernatural, miraculous work of God in our life. And so last week as a baseline, we saw that, that as a baseline, we not only have salvation through Jesus, we not only have a calling and a purpose on our life through Jesus, we not only have authority through Jesus, uh, through the Holy Spirit. We have the same access to God that Jesus did, and we ha have the same power living in us, the Holy Spirit who lives in us, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. You and I, uh, if we are following Jesus, surrender our life to him, declare his lordship over our life, we don't get um, a portion of the Holy Spirit. We don't get a junior Holy Spirit. We don't get a different kind of Holy Spirit. We have the very same uh, working and uh, power of the Holy Spirit in us. And, and this can seem so out of reach. We can look at the account of the New Testament. We can look at the Gospels and the life of Jesus, and we can look at uh, Acts and the life of, uh, you know, the early Christians and go, we have no way to relate to that. Like, that is just so beyond our current experience. I want to just encourage you. It's actually over the next few weeks as we learn about the gifts today, as we learn about the fruit of the Spirit in a couple of weeks, as we kind of take a deeper dive into these specific ministries of Jesus that he lists uh, in Luke 4, that we will see those connection points to, uh, to make tangible the life of God as expressed in the New Testament. Number one, what we need to believe, you and I, what we need to believe 
is that the people in the Bible were ordinary people just like us because they were. We can't have this view of uh, these historical people in scripture as being somehow superhuman or super Christian or, you know, on a different plane than we are. We have to understand that when we pick up this Bible and when we read through the Gospels and when we read about the disciples, they were real normal people. They had fear and they had doubt. They had um, feelings of inadequacy. They, they were messing up all of the time. When we read through Acts and the explosion of the church, it was messy. There were problems. There was conflict going on. There was anger and there was jealousy and there was lying and stealing and all of these things were going on. It, we have to understand that the Bible um, talks about real people who were just like us. We have to actually believe that if we were kind of transplanted back into that time, we would actually behave and respond in the same way that they did. So what we read in the scriptures is not out of reach. It's not uh, meant to be so disconnected from what is possible that it's, that it's impossible to think about. That It's actually, again, the same Holy Spirit that not only gives you and I salvation through Jesus, that not only actually puts a calling on your life and a purpose, that not only gives you authority, that Holy Spirit not only gives you access the same access Jesus had to the throne room. And he not only gives you the same power, he actually gives you the same gifts, the same gifts that Jesus used in operation as he walked on this earth in the first century, the same gifts that the apostle Paul used and Peter and John and Timothy and Barnabas and the leaders and, and not even just the leaders, the, the body of Christ in the first century, second century, third century, the same gifts are not only accessible to us, but given to us. This is so crucial for our understanding to realize that there is nothing that took place here. There's no kind of example in scripture that we should look at and go, that's not for today, that's not applicable today whatsoever. So the Holy Spirit gives us two primary vehicles. One is the fruit of the Spirit, which we're gonna talk about in a few weeks, and the second are the gifts of the Spirit. So what are the gifts of the Spirit? We're just gonna do a quick sort of introduction to them. The gifts of the Spirit are gifts that enable us to establish the kingdom of God for his will to be accomplished and done. They're the, the supernatural spiritual infusion from God himself to be able to accomplish his purpose on the earth. We cannot accomplish uh, the divine calling of God on our life without the use of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They are specifically for accomplishing the desire of God in our lives, in our families, in our communities, in our uh, churches. I want to also say that the gifts of the Spirit are used in order specifically to serve others and fulfill the heart of God on the earth. The very first time that I actually experienced 
uh, what, what you would maybe call or I would call the supernatural gifts of the Spirit. The very first time I experienced that, I was like a maybe 10 or 11 year old. And every summer I would go to a German a Pentecostal Bible camp um, just on the north shore of Lake Erie. And it was called Bethel Park. And I remember, I, I remember it like it was yesterday as a 10 year old. We were sitting in this chapel service. And the chapel services were in German. The problem was I really didn't understand German. So it was all kind of gibberish. But in the middle of this service where there, um, uh, we were in the middle of worship and stuff like that, somebody stood up and they started speaking in a language that I knew wasn't German and I knew wasn't English. I had no idea what it was. It just sounded like gibberish. And I... I I kind of perked up and it caught my attention. I, I'm listening to this and I'm going, I don't know what, like what in the world is going on? I've never experienced this in my life in the church. And I grew up in the church. My dad was a pastor. Uh, I, I never remember life outside of the church, but I'd never experienced this. And then shortly after, um, like within seconds of that person sitting down, somebody stood up and in English, said, this is the interpretation of what was said. And that person, you can see I'm actually getting emotional right now. That person, I don't remember exactly what they said, but as they expressed in English what the heart of God was through the, the tongues, as they expressed the interpretation of the tongues, I began to weep as a young kid because what was being expressed and said was, was surging with life and hope and building up, edifying the people who were there. I'd never experienced something like that. It wasn't just like somebody coming along and saying, good job, everyone, or you can do it, everyone. It was like a, a direct revelatory word from God that expressed the heart of God to these people to encourage them and edify them and equip them and, and build them up and lift them up. And I remember sitting there, I'd never experienced that kind of emotion before in church. You know, I love my dad uh, deeply, uh, but I used to spend my time as a youngster drawing in church, like many of you do and, and still do, even you might be doing it right now. Uh, but that's the first time I experienced the functioning and use of one of the gifts overtly in the life of the church. And so uh, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to go from verse 4 to 11. I'm going to turn there as well. 1 Corinthians 12, there are sort of three distinct areas or passages of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, talks about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 14 does as well, and Romans 12 do as well. So these gifts we're talking about, again, just as a reminder, these are supernatural empowerments given to administer the kingdom will and desire of God on the earth. We need these. This is what Paul says. Um, he says this, now there are different gifts, but the same spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God produces 
each gift in each person. I just want to stop there for a minute. All right. So there's a couple definitions we just want to kind of get out of the way and clarify. Number one, gifts. The Greek word is charisma. And the plural of that is charismata. That's where we get the word charismatic. But actually what that word means, charisma refers to a gracious work of God or something God's grace has bestowed. So uh, charisma does not mean boisterous, um, you know, demonstrative, expressive behavior. Charisma literally means a gracious work or gift from God. That's why some people call these grace gifts. That's why, again, as we talked about a few weeks ago in the gifts from Ephesians chapter four, these gifts are not your natural, innate human capacities and abilities. These are not the things you like to do or would like to do or are working hard to do. These are gifts that have spiritual origin, spiritual power, and spiritual authority and are given graciously by God to us. That's what the word gifts mean, is a grace given to us or a work of God. Uh, when Paul says um, that there are different ministries but the same Lord, what he, that word ministries, what that word means is actually, um, gifts that are designated to serve and help. So that word ministries is actually ha has a connotation of servanthood. And most specifically, the point of spiritual gifts is found in this word ministries. And the point is that these gifts are less privilege and more responsibility. The function of these is to serve. The function of these is to accomplish the purposes of God on the earth, not to glorify ourselves, not to draw attention to ourselves. That's not the functioning purpose of these. These are not related to your identity or my identity. These are gifts meant to serve others. And lastly, activities, that means actions, operations, and workings. And so Paul says that the, those are the sort of the, the parameters of these. And when he says there's a manifestation given, literally that means a disclosure, an opening up, a revealing, a setting forth plainly, like something coming plainly into the light. A manifestation is literally God making himself visible through the operation of these gifts. I want to make a, a specific note here. It's really important contextually that we get this and understand this. Spiritual gifts are not some kind of external gift. We, we can't have a deistic view of them, that there's some kind of external gift that God somewhere up there sends to us somewhere down here. The, what the Bible expresses these are, are the very presence of God in action, through activity, serving the church, serving the people of God, and actually administrating and empowering and effectively uh, establishing the kingdom of God on the earth. So spiritual gifts are not a thing that some distant God kind of floats down from heaven and, oh, look, there it is. Oh, I've got it. I've got my thing from God. No, spiritual gifts are literally God himself working in and through you. We cannot view them as this 
thing that is separate from God. They're nothing less than God himself. Sam Storm says it this way. I really like this. Spiritual gifts are nothing less than God himself in us, energizing our souls, imparting revelation to our minds, infusing power in our will, and working a sovereign and gracious purpose through us. When we put all of these things together, Sam Storms continues to say, we discover that all spiritual gifts are acts of service or ministry, which are produced through the triune God. So the whole Trinity is at play here. We see in verse four that it's the Holy Spirit is at play. In verse five, that the Lord Jesus is at play. And in verse six, that God the Father is at play. So the whole Trinity is present in us, expressing the kingdom of God and the life of God through us. So let's go through and just explain a couple of these gifts. Uh, Firstly, in verse eight, to one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit, to another a message of knowledge. Okay, I'm going to kind of lump these two together. And I want to just take a moment to express these as two sides of the same coin. They are different and distinct, each in their own right, but they actually often are functioning together. And we could actually view that coin itself, the the object of that coin, as uh, a a prophetic word from God or um, a discerned direction. But in order to uh, not just hear from God or discern something from God prophetically, we talked about the gift of prophecy a few weeks ago, in in order to not just hear something from God or, or believe that we're receiving discernment or prophetic or revelatory insight from God, we need to be able to integrate God's revelation into our lives and into the church and into the context around us. And that's where we need wisdom and knowledge. So that message of wisdom that Paul is talking about, that gifting of wisdom, again, is a part of the triune God working in and through people. But it's the how of how to apply what you believe God is speaking. Or if somebody in the context of a a connect group or or our church in general feels like they have a, a prophetic word from God or God is revealing something to them, Uh, We need to be able to know how to apply what's being said so that it's not just abstract and totally useless. So that message of wisdom is how to apply what has been discerned as a word or direction or insight from God. It's, It's saying, okay, look, we are discerning this from God or somebody specifically got a prophetic word from God. Here's how we put this into action. That is the message of wisdom, that spiritual gift of wisdom is the how and the knowledge part of that. So the knowledge is the flip side of that coin and it, it, we don't just need the how, but we need the what. The what of the knowledge is actually combining all of the things that God is speaking being, and being able to kind of uh, lay them out to kind of clarify what is being said, to sort through everything and to be able to apply the what. So exactly what is God saying here? And then how do we actually integrate this into our life? So these are both kind of the fruit of um, the revelatory gift, the, the prophetic gifting. So 
um, that we know how to discern what you know, is being said and how it applies to our life. So um, we don't need to go into great intricacy here with these. I, I just would want to kind of sum these up by saying that God still speaks. I think part of Paul's point here is that God still speaks and he will give you the wisdom of how to apply what he's speaking to you and the knowledge to understand the full breadth of what it is he is saying so that your life, your family, the church can be built up and edified. Paul's point here is that God is still speaking. And not only is he speaking in just abstract sort of ideas and concepts, he actually wants to gift people with the ability to understand how it can be applied. The ability to know what uh, is, is actually being said, to decipher what is being said. Those are the gifts of wisdom and humility. Number three, uh, the third gift of faith. Paul says that some are given a, um, a measure of faith. And I just want to say about this a, a couple of things. Number one, that faith is always toward God. God is the object of our faith. The gift of faith is a supernatural capacity uh, to direct um, our energy, to, uh, and not energy in a mystical way, but to direct our spiritual fervor toward the capacity of God and away from ourselves. Faith always glorifies God. Faith always points away from us and toward God. Faith turns us away from our own capacity and resources and power and actually focuses us on who God is, what he brings, what is possible from God in the moment. And sometimes um, God needs to release this gift of faith in the life of the church. Somebody needs to stand up and go, I, 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 I'm looking at this and this seems like a mountain to us, but I, I see God as being so much greater and so much bigger, having so much more capacity that his, his ability to actually intervene in this situation is unlimited. Faith is not just praying fervently for what we want. Faith is not us trying to uh, exercise our own disciplined sort of, you know, I'm just going to believe it until it happens kind of thing. Faith, when the gift of faith is in operation... When the gift of faith is being downloaded from the Holy Spirit to somebody, it's actually a supernatural activity that directs our eyes away from sort of the reality of the problem of the present and all of the reasons why something is impossible to the reality of God and that all things are possible through him. Again, Sam Storms says this, the prayer of faith isn't one we pray whenever we want to. It is a unique prayer, divinely energized only on those occasions when it is God's sovereign purpose to impact a gift for healing. James, in the Bible, James was careful to place the definite article, the, before both prayer and faith. Hence, the prayer of faith. 
One prays this prayer only when prompted by the spirit-wrought conviction that God intends to heal the one for whom the prayer is being offered. This is more than merely believing that God is able to heal. So faith in the gift of faith is not just trying to muster up everything we've got to try and believe for something. That's not the gift of faith. But it is also willing, um, it's, so it's not just believing that God is willing to heal. It's also believing that he's willing to heal right now. It's a, a, a rhema kind of moment. Like, hey, the, I'm recognizing supernaturally, like in this moment that I believe that this is what God wants to do. So it's not just a general thing. Uh, and naming and claiming it kind of thing, that this is a specific for specific moments. God sovereignly bestows his faith necessary for healing only when he wills. When God chooses to heal, he produces in the hearts of those praying the faith or confidence that healing is precisely the intent of God. The particular kind of faith to which James refers in response to which God heals is not the kind that we may exercise at our will. It's the kind of faith that we exercise only when God wills. That's the gift of faith. And God releases that gift of faith in moments and in seasons. It's not just the generic, general, oh, I have faith to believe this. I have faith to believe in God for that. We need to do that. But the gift of faith is this supernatural uh, sort of insurgence of the Spirit of God to say, now, right now, this is the time for us to lean in and press in and actually go after God for what he would want to accomplish here. Number four, the gift of healing is the ability of that God through the Holy Spirit gives certain people to be a human intermediary through whom he operates to cure illness and restore health apart from natural means. That's the gift of healing. I actually just want to say here uh, and even correct myself because it's so natural for us to say this. I, I want to say something to you that may seem uh, wrong <laughs> or offensive. Um, I don't know that there is an actual gift of healing. And I'm not sure that that's what Paul is actually saying here. Let me explain this. Uh, both the word gift and healing in this context in the original Greek are plural words. And there's no definite article. Paul doesn't say the gift of healing. He said gifts of healings. So I think actually maybe what Paul is suggesting is not that somebody is endowed with a healing gift that is operative at all times for them. I, I'm not sure that what Paul is saying here is that with some people, God will give them a gift to be a healer. And that that gift is endowed to them and that they possess that gift to be able to use at their discretion and at their will. I think maybe what Paul is kind of actually trying to get at are many different gifts necessary for many different kinds of healings. Or a distinct gift that's given at a specific time to perform a specific function. So what we need to kind of uh, do away with is, I, I think, an erroneous or incorrect way of thinking that, that kind of says that 
you know, if God has given me this gift, if, if God has worked through me to heal someone once, that now I am a healer for number one, uh, let's just do away with that language. Or two, that now that I have this gift, I can use it at will and I can operate it out of, you know, just that, that gifting. It's interesting that even Jesus said that he only did what his father directed him to do. And actually in Mark uh, 6, verse 5 and 6, when he's going back to his hometown, he says that uh, Mark says that Jesus wasn't able to heal many people because of their lack of faith. Jesus had healed scores and, and you know, countless people. Uh, John, at the end of his gospel, says if we recorded all of the miracles of Jesus, there wouldn't be enough paper on the earth to fill the accounts of everything that he had done. He had healed so many people, but that healing was at the direction of God, a specific time and moment and place, not just that he walked around zapping people with kind of a laser beam of healing. I think we need to actually move away from this idea. And this is where we get so, so uh, dysfunctional in church because that sometimes God operates through a gift um, uh, of, of healing through us. He's done that through me in my life, where he's used me through prayer and himself actually bringing healing to somebody because I was willing to pray for them. But we, we fall off into the ditch when we then go, okay, I have the gift of healing now. So, you know, everybody come to me, come to me and I'll heal you. And this is where we see uh, this part, this this unhealthy part of Christian culture, especially in the West, but it's really everywhere, where people then elevate themselves in that gift. And then people flock from all over because that person has the gift of healing. And then what happens when that gift is not actually operational in the same way? Or what happens if God doesn't want to release it in that same way? That's when we begin to actually do stuff out of our own flesh. And that's where we begin to malign and distort and diminish actually the power of healing. Paul healed many people. The apostle Paul healed many people in many ways, but not everybody was healed by Paul. Epaphroditus in Philippians 2, 25 to 30, Paul says that he was so sick that Paul was so stressed out and that God in his mercy allowed him not to die. Do you think that the Apostle Paul, the one from whom people would just take, you know, articles of clothing he'd touch and they'd be healed, do you think he wasn't praying for healing for Epaphroditus? He probably was. But Paul couldn't turn it on at his own discretion, with his own will. Timothy, who traveled with Paul, it says in 1 Timothy 5.23 that he was frequently ill. Paul left Trophimus sick. So in 2 Timothy 4.20, one of you know, the, the, the disciples of Paul, not the 12, but one of the, the, the disciples, Paul leaves him sick in his city and he leaves. Don't you think that if Paul had the capacity to just heal on will, he would have went, hey, let's pray, Trophimus, so that as I go, you're not sick anymore. But no, he actually leaves him ill. Paul's own a thorn in his flesh he describes as a weakness of the flesh, something God had allowed something to happen to him that Paul begged him to take away. But God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. 
we have to get this thing right here. I believe that there is um, a bit of a dangerous teaching that God wills always to heal all people. That's not found in scripture. God can heal all people. God absolutely can. But we can't walk around presumptuously, erroneously believing that in every situation, every sickness must be healed because that's what God wants. That's not found in scripture. And it actually leads to a tremendous amount of discouragement and confusion and frustration. It also leads to this dysfunctional kind of prayer life where um, we just go around declaring something on behalf of God that we haven't even actually maybe even sensed that God in that specific moment wants to accomplish. So we pray prayers that sound good and sound powerful and we claim things that sound right on the surface, but we're actually not walking in obedience. And we got to come back to even the model of Jesus. He did nothing that his father did not show him, or he said nothing that his father didn't speak to him. Obedience is the measure and the guardrail for this gift of healing. All right, miracles. All right, these are called workings of power. So I believe that there's a distinction between healing and miracles. We see other miracles happening in the Bible. Uh, so the miracle, you know, of Jesus feeding the 5,000, multiplying the loaves and fish. The miracles of Jesus's power over nature um, would be another kind of example of category. I'm not saying that uh, we have that same capacity, but uh, that's a category of miracles where the... the um, the rules and laws of nature are actually defied by God. Um, the ordinary course of events is altered by God. I think the big question here, and there's some people in the church that uh, have this idea and this belief that we, it's actually unholy or, or immature to ask for miracles. They feel like it's over emotionalism and sensationalism in a, you know, um, and to ask for miracles is a sign of immaturity. And that's actually not biblical either. That's not true. Should we ask for the miraculous, supernatural activity and working of God in our life? Absolutely, 100% yes, we should. Let me read to you from Acts 4, 29 to 31. All right, now the Lord... Uh, th this is a prayer meeting, okay? So we're right in the, the, you know, the first years of the church. And they gather together and they pray and they say, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. So they're asking, they're saying, God, um, we're being threatened, we're being persecuted, we're being uh, oppressed here. God, we're asking that you would actually work in supernatural, miraculous powerful ways to demonstrate your kingdom. We ask that you would show up in the miraculous in our life. This is like, again, we, we need to actually hit a, a bit of a restart in our lives and not only expect that God wants to work miraculously, 
but that he's okay with us asking him to do the things that we can't do to reveal his goodness, his kingdom message of hope and renewal and life. God works, I think, in miraculous ways, in surprising and unfamiliar ways, the working of his powers to arouse our awe and wonder in a way that bears witness to who he is. Again, these gifts aren't for you or me. They're to serve the church, to demonstrate the good news of the kingdom of God. I believe that God works miraculously to, to fan into flame that environment of awe and wonder that bear witness to his goodness and his faithfulness. Number six, distinguishing between spirits. Uh, this is discernment. And uh, we see from Paul in Ephesians that there's basically uh, three places of influence in our life that we have to discern about. And there's some people have um, a supernatural, a spiritual gift of discernment. And that's the ability to discern between what is of God, what's of human origin, and what is demonic. Paul says in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, that these are the things that are vying for our attention. They're the things vying to influence us in our life. And we need in the life of the church, we need in the body, we need in our relationships, those people that God has gifted supernaturally with discernment to come alongside us and say, hey, I believe that this is of God. Or wait a minute, maybe your first response is to think, oh, something bad is happening to me. That must be the devil doing it, right? We have those people that everything is the devil's fault but we actually need a greater level of spiritual discernment to go, wait a minute, no, no, no. Uh, this is actually a vehicle of God for his testing and discipline and correction in your life. Not all harm that comes to us in that way, not all trials, I should say, that's a better word. Not all trials or difficulties or struggles are from the devil. So we need discernment happening and discernment in the body of Christ. And some people, God has gifted them to be able to actually discern accurately what's happening. In Acts 3, uh, sorry, Acts 13, 8 to 11, Paul discerned that Elymas the magician was demonically energized. So Paul discerned that this magician was actually being infused by demonic power to do what he was doing. Acts 14. Paul discerned that the man, uh, one of the men that he was preaching to had the faith necessary to be healed. That they didn't have an exchange or conversation. There was a spiritual discernment that came up that, hey, this man has faith to be healed. Boom, let's go. Let's kick into high gear with this. Acts 8, Peter is said to see, but not physically, okay? Peter is said to see, or, or perceive that Simon Magus was filled with bitterness and iniquity. So Peter's looking at this man, Simon Magus, and he's saying uh, that he can see there's discernment from the spirit happening, that he can see that this man is filled with bitterness and iniquity. It's how God sometimes works 
in these moments to help us cut through all of the mess and all of the fluff and cut through right to the core issues of what need to be addressed or brought into the light. John 1:47. Jesus looked at Nathanael and described him as a man in whom there is no deceit. So that's not because he read Nathanael's autobiography or grew up with him as his best friend. It was because that was the spirit of God working on him. I'm actually gonna stop there uh, because we're about to get into uh, different kinds of tongues. We're about to get into some of these other spiritual gifts. But what I wanna say to you, and I'm gonna repeat this uh, when it comes time to finishing these gifts, but here's what I want to exhort you with or encourage you with here. It's time for us to have a restart, not just with what the kingdom normal should look like in our life, but a restart with where we stand with spiritual gifts. These are the very empowering presence of God. P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E, not T-S. These are actually the active workings and presence of God in our life. They're not an external thing that God just kind of floats down to us. We need a restart with how we frame these gifts. And here's the restart that I want to encourage you with. Paul urges us to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Paul urges us, it, like it's, it's an emphatic command, desire the spiritual gifts. So here's my question to you and I. Are you desiring, are you eagerly, earnestly asking God for and seeking the spiritual gifts of God in your life? Or are you content to operate out of your own power and your own effectiveness, thinking that actually either that should be normal or that it's sufficient. There's a reason that Paul says we are to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts because we need them and God has a purpose and a call on your life that he wants to fulfill and he wants to use them. The question is, are you even willing to ask? Are you open to receiving them? Are you open to living out of them in a totally different way? It's time to restart. I want to challenge you in this week to begin to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Begin to ask God for wisdom and revelation, for wisdom and knowledge. Begin to ask God for the capacity of greater faith, faith in the moment that moves mountains, to begin to ask God to work miraculously in you and through you and around you, to begin to ask God for a greater capacity to serve those around you. Let's just pray. Father, um, so often many of us, we, we, we really live like the gifts of God don't even exist or have a, a tangible, definable, impactful presence in our life. And we're sorry for that. Holy Spirit, we're sorry for pushing you to the margins of our life in these ways. We're sorry for living out of our own strength and our own capacity. We're sorry for not desiring your activity in these ways in our life in a greater measure. And I, I'm asking Holy Spirit for my life and for my friends watching or listening that you would actually fill us right now, Holy Spirit, 
We're asking to be filled with a greater desire, an urgency to pray for and eagerly seek the gifts of God in our life. Jesus, I thank you that you actually didn't come to just save us or you didn't come to just fill us or you didn't come to empower us, but you came to work through us, through your very self. And so we're sorry for relegating these gifts as something less than they are. They are the very presence of yourself, God, operational in and through us. And so we just ask that you would fill us this week with a, just open our eyes and give us a greater desire to see these gifts at work in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.